Imagine a place of your own in your name, a place where all your stuff is, where there's a dinner table and a family around it. Virginia Housing makes it possible for thousands across the Commonwealth with our special homeownership programs, including loans, grants, and free classes. Because when we help people buy homes, their communities thrive. Click to learn more about Virginia Housing and see how home helps everyone. Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of suicide, sexual assault, and abuse that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Jeanette Horner watched as glimmering turquoise waves washed over the soft sand of Australia's Watagos Beach. The spot was considered a mecca for surfers, but Jeanette wasn't there for recreation. She took slow, deliberate steps to the shore's edge, her feet sinking in the sand. As she neared the water, Jeanette thought about the master teacher, Chuck Anderson. He had shown her so much. Thanks to him, she'd learned that the world was an illusion, and so was death. Anderson and his Endeavor Academy taught that each and every person was to blame for all the suffering in the world. Jeanette felt the agony of billions as she stepped into the icy water. The waves climbed higher and higher, but Jeanette didn't stop walking. She left the Australian coastline behind and headed into the wide open Pacific, hoping to escape the illusion and her pain. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Cults for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Cults in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Today, we'll focus on Endeavor Academy, a religious group founded by Charles Chuck Anderson in the Wisconsin Dells in 1992. Thanks to Anderson's aggressive recruitment techniques, Endeavor Academy quickly developed into an international organization. But as Endeavor's public profile grew, so did the controversy surrounding it, leading one Australian parliament member to label the group a dangerous cult. We'll discuss allegations of psychological and sexual abuse that some claim drove multiple members to suicide. Not much is known about the early life of Chuck Anderson, He typically refused to give public interviews, shielding his operations behind an aura of secrecy. We do know that he was born in January of 1927 and that he served in World War II, earning the rank of corporal. The war was one experience Anderson did speak about in later years. He served as a U.S. Marine and visited Nagasaki in September of 1945, about one month after the atomic bomb was dropped by U.S. aircraft. Anderson wrote an emotional account of witnessing the destruction of the city. After fighting Japanese soldiers in combat, Anderson had come to see even Japanese civilians as his enemy. 
But witnessing the suffering and death in Nagasaki stirred a newfound sense of empathy in him. The brutality forced Anderson to reassess his previous militaristic view. Anderson claimed that, for the first time, he was able to see that all men and women were created equal. Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. According to psychologist and political activist Ralph K. White, this reaction is common in military veterans. White wrote that empathy, the ability to understand another's thoughts and feelings, was still possible even if a soldier cannot feel sympathy, the ability to feel with others. He said, empathy is the great corrective for all forms of war-promoting misperception. We're not talking about warmth or approval, and certainly not about agreeing with or siding with, but only about realistic empathy. White also said that these feelings require an honest assessment of oneself and the actions of one's group, in this case, the U.S. military's bombing of Nagasaki. After the war, Chuck Anderson started a new chapter in his life. But during his first few years back on American soil, he struggled to embrace his newfound morality. Anderson took a job as a real estate broker in Chicago. At first, he found material success. It gave him a sense of control over his post-war life. But as time went on, he developed a serious alcohol addiction. Years later, Anderson managed to get sober and became an active leader of Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. He found that organizing and leading the group's discussions groomed him into a charismatic and effective public speaker. But it took another dramatic experience for Anderson to permanently change the trajectory of his life. In 1971, 44-year-old Anderson became seriously ill. Though he never clarified exactly what ailment put him on his deathbed, it was likely cirrhosis of the liver, based on public speeches he'd given during AA meetings. Anderson claimed that everyone around him had given up hope and were preparing for his death. He said that he was crushed into a bottomless black hole of despair, filled with utter meaninglessness of this life, and simply died. And then began the light. According to Anderson, a light brighter than the sun encapsulated him as he lay dying and filled him with joy. In that moment, he was miraculously and completely healed. Anderson then said that an angelic voice informed him that he'd been given another chance at life. Now he had a responsibility to preach about this miracle to others. Back from the brink of death, Chuck Anderson's religious vision came into focus, but he still needed something that would help him organize his ideology and deliver it to a receptive audience. That's where A Course in Miracles came in. A Course in Miracles, or ACIM, is a wellness program and workbook text written by Helen Shookman. ACIM was first published in 1976 and was designed to help readers undergo a spiritual transformation. The ACIM's teachings were rooted in Christianity and New Age philosophy, which seemed to resonate with Anderson. The ACIM program taught that the greatest miracle of all was a deeper recognition of the love present in each person's life. It claimed that our everyday perceptions of the world were an illusion and that only love, especially the love Jesus Christ had for humanity, was real. Anderson spent years refining his ideology, using the ACIM program as a baseline. 
1991, at the age of 64, he began leading small group worship sessions at his property in Wisconsin, which he is said to have named God's Country Place. He typically spoke at length about a spiritual topic and then led his congregation in wild, ecstatic dancing. In the beginning, Anderson only attracted four regular worshipers, but just a few months later, by July of 1991, there were 12 people living full-time in God's Country Place. By October, Anderson's following had swelled to almost 70 members, many of them poached from other groups which studied the ACIM doctrine. There were plenty of smaller organizations to poach from at the time, since ACIM was pretty well known. It reached peak popularity in the early 1990s, after it was discussed on The Oprah Winfrey Show. By 1992, just one year after Anderson began his enterprise, his congregation had outgrown God's Country Place entirely. In search of a larger location, he moved his organization into a former resort complex in the Wisconsin Dells. There, the group rebranded themselves the New Christian Church of Full Endeavor, or simply Endeavor Academy. But Anderson's popularity agitated many other ACIM scholars. They felt his teachings weren't in line with the spirit of the original material. Anderson encouraged his followers to hate and reject the world outside the academy, including their family and friends who didn't subscribe to the Endeavor belief system. This was a significant departure from the original text. In the book, Shookman taught that our perception of the world made it a place of pain, scarcity, and death. Attachment to these worldly illusions prevents people from awakening to God's gifts. To remedy this, the ACIM emphasized embracing love while turning away from fear and hatred. According to many ACIM students, Charles Anderson was distorting the message and making himself the only true source of knowledge and love. Shookman and the publishers of A Course in Miracles were so incensed by Anderson's teachings that they even took members of the Endeavor Academy to court In their lawsuit, Shookman claimed that Anderson violated her copyright to the material and misinterpreted the book in a dangerous way. Despite her arguments, however, the court ruled that the original edition of A Course in Miracles fell under public domain. Anderson could interpret the text however he saw fit. After his legal victory, Anderson pronounced that the original author of A Course in Miracles was wrong about the book's ultimate message. He alleged that he alone had the sole responsibility to lift the burden of death from man, calling himself a savior with the divine obligation to save the world. As his star continued to rise, Anderson became even more egomaniacal. He wanted to be seen as more than mortal and started instructing his students to call him master teacher. New acolytes were expected to give up everything, including their jobs and families, to devote themselves entirely to the academy. What they learned was anything but comforting. For example, according to former member Kaylee Picone, Rosie, one of the academy's assistant teachers, lectured students about the urgency of abandoning worldly occupations. She reportedly said, I must be on myself every day to remember to hate the world. Every child that dies is because of me. Every person who is ill, murdered, raped, or starves to death is because of me. If I don't remember to hate the world, I will be pulled back into the world again. 
The psychological effect of these teachings could have created feelings of guilt, inadequacy, and self-loathing in students. Initiates were reminded again and again that their perception of reality was flawed. Paradoxically, they were also told that they were to blame for all the pain and suffering in this world. Self-hatred was ubiquitous in the academy. The master teacher reportedly told one member, look at the people dying and suffering because of you. You need to feel their pain and hate the world. Anderson instilled self-loathing and fear in his students to break them down. Then, when they were at their weakest, he suddenly made them feel special. The master teacher frequently told students that they were spiritually superior to other humans. The fact that students stayed with Anderson, despite his psychological abuse, reflects behavior seen in people with addictive disorders. A 2017 study on the psychology of cult membership found that there were a number of parallels between addiction and belonging to a cult. The study highlighted factors such as persistence despite negative consequences, and hypothesized that group membership in a cult operated on the same neurological pathways in the brain as addiction. Cult leaders like Chuck Anderson created a perpetual state of dependence. Students relied on their teacher to take care of them, to tell them how to live, and to help them achieve enlightenment, all dependent on the master teacher's validation. When faced with Anderson's charismatic personality, many students found themselves enduring the abuse and being drawn deeper into Endeavor Academy. The master teacher hooked them by making broad, sweeping promises that he could release his students from the pain of the world and that they would never have to worry or suffer again. He reportedly promised his students, I'm leaving here very shortly. I'm going back to heaven. I can leave for heaven at this instant. He also claimed that everybody would be going with him when he left for heaven, suggesting he and his followers would get out of here together. Anderson emphasized that he could take his followers home to heaven without them having to die. Anderson, in the role of master teacher, may have wanted to enlighten his students and lift humanity up to heaven, but it also seems he wanted to bask in the adoration of his followers. He protected his power by punishing anyone who threatened his absolute control over the academy, and he was willing to use any means necessary to stay on top. Up next, Chuck Anderson faces sexual abuse accusations as Endeavor Academy becomes a global entity. Imagine a place of your own in your name, a place where all your stuff is, where there's a dinner table and a family around it. Virginia Housing makes it possible for thousands across the Commonwealth with our special homeownership programs, including loans, grants, and free classes. Because when we help people buy homes, their communities thrive. Click to learn more about Virginia Housing and see how home helps everyone. Now back to the story. Chuck Anderson founded the Endeavor Academy in 1991, basing his teachings on a popular book titled A Course in Miracles, or ACIM. By the next year, 65-year-old Anderson had a massive following and moved his group to an enormous compound in the Wisconsin Dells. As Anderson recruited more and more students, former devotees claim he became increasingly controlling. Some have even publicly accused him of sexual abuse. 
an alleged former member wrote to the Cult Education Institute and called Anderson a fraud, saying, quote, I've seen him molesting women on so many occasions I can't count them. He's not subtle about it either. He puts his hands down their tops and plays with their breasts in public, or he yanks at their hair or goes in for the kill and grabs at their sexual organs. It's important to note that while Anderson has certainly been accused of physical and sexual abuse, other former members have denied seeing anything out of line. But when a well-respected ACIM author named Gary Renard challenged Anderson's interpretation of ACIM, a number of Endeavor students became disillusioned and left Anderson's academy. Sometime later, Renard visited the academy to witness the master teacher's sermon with his own eyes. Renard said that Anderson talked for almost an hour, not allowing anyone to ask questions or say a word the entire time. Eventually, the master teacher recognized Renard as the author who led people away from the academy and became antagonistic. According to Renard, Anderson repeatedly tried to physically intimidate him during the lecture. The fact that Renard didn't react to the threats only made Anderson more aggressive. Things got so tense that Anderson allegedly slapped Renard on the head while continuing to lecture. Renard also said that he witnessed students being manipulated and pitted against one another. Some members were encouraged to verbally abuse their peers. Anyone who didn't blissfully absorb Anderson's every word was derided during the session. The master teacher labeled them the dead ones and excluded anyone who struggled to grasp his message. In Renard's eyes, this behavior created a cult-like atmosphere in the academy. There was pressure to conform with the group and interpret Anderson's teachings as absolute truth, no matter what he said. Despite the criticisms of Renard and others, the Endeavor Academy continued to grow throughout the 1990s. In order to recruit more members, Anderson's followers crashed a course in miracle events that were not related to the Academy. Anderson's evangelists, dubbed the Light Team, hijacked the events and gave unscheduled workshops. Academy members told other attendees that they were wrong about A Course in Miracles and that only Charles Anderson knew the right way to interpret the Course's teachings. These tactics caused Anderson's membership to explode. He reportedly had so many followers that he planned to establish 12 satellite communes around the world. He claimed he would fully illuminate 12 acolytes to lead his worldwide academies and enlighten other students on his behalf. As it turned out, the 12 communities never quite materialized. But Anderson did manage to commission a satellite group in Australia to take his ideas to even further extremes. The group settled down in Byron Bay, establishing their so-called Miracle Center in 1996, when Anderson was 69. Kieran Reardon, a psychologist near Byron Bay, attended several open sessions put on by Endeavor Academy at the Miracle Center. Initially, Dr. Reardon didn't realize the group was a cult, but after his experience there, Reardon strongly discouraged anyone else from visiting the Australian Academy. He said, it's a classic cult in the sense that no one leaves legitimately. If you leave, it's because you've failed to measure up. It's not clear whether Dr. Reardon ever heard Charles Anderson lecture at the Miracle Center, but he certainly encountered local academy leader Ted Poppy, also known as Master Hector. Reardon claimed Poppy was quite cruel, especially when he believed students were challenging his authority. 
Much like Anderson, Poppy did not take kindly to anything less than complete obedience. With Anderson primarily at the Wisconsin compound, the Australian branch was given some autonomy. Poppy managed operations, expenses, and member acceptance or expulsion. But he didn't act completely alone. Poppy was helped in his day-to-day operations by a man named Ian Hamilton. Like many members, Ian gave up nearly everything he loved to the Academy. Ian and his wife April had lived a comfortable life prior to joining with Chuck Anderson. Years before, they had sold a small chain of restaurants they owned to travel the world in search of gurus and spiritual enlightenment. The Endeavor Academy seemed to offer exactly what the Hamiltons had been seeking. Ian was drawn to meditation and Christian ideology. While he'd never read A Course in Miracles, he was hooked after hearing Anderson's message. Ian later said, We were meditation practitioners in a big way. And I think what meditation does do, of course, is open you to the yearning for God, the experience of God. So when this came along, it appeared to give the more immediate experience of God. So I think that was the original reason. There were only about 12 followers in Australia when the Hamiltons first joined the Endeavour Academy at a farmhouse in Toowoomba. But the Hamiltons were blown away by the ecstasy the other devotees seemed to experience during their dancing. April immediately believed the group could provide the sense of enlightenment that she and her husband had been seeking. Ian later described these early sessions as a madhouse. He watched in awe as the Endeavor followers jumped up and down erratically, twisting their faces and shrieking in spiritual abandonment. It was unlike anything he had ever seen before. Students who listened attentively and experienced feelings of divine joy were described as going to light. The dancing sessions, called light intensives, would sometimes last for hours. They were designed to increase serotonin production, and just like drugs, which induce the same chemical response in the brain, these sessions became addictive to some members of the academy. April was enticed by the spectacle, but Ian struggled to connect as meaningfully as his wife at first. When he tried to scream and dance in loud ecstasy like the rest of the students, he found himself wondering why he wasn't having the same experience as the others. He was also initially put off by the teaching methods of the group. Ian liked the message, but not the way it was presented to students. He called it an American way, which was very in-your-face. He was berated in an early session by one of the teachers, a woman working under Ted Poppy, who was called the Lightmeister. She reportedly told Ian, You're all the death there is. You're all the suffering there is. You're all the pain there is. And it's because of your mind. Ian had gotten a full dose of the dark side of Charles Anderson's doctrine and felt the situation was abusive from the start. Anderson taught that the will to live inherently made most of humanity already dead. His teachings emphasized that the world was an illusion. And though Anderson claimed that on the other side of that illusion was total peace and love, few students ever experienced that love from their master teacher. Both Anderson and Ted Poppy indoctrinated students with the message that there was no true death and that forms and objects did not exist. What we understand as living bodies were actually, according to the Academy, eternal beings that existed in an eternal world. This line of thinking required students to internalize guilt about the world's problems and shut out family and friends, cutting ties with anyone outside the Academy. 
It was one thing for the Hamiltons to rely on themselves, as they were financially stable, but the same wasn't true for all of Anderson and Poppy's followers. Many of Anderson's acolytes were recovering alcoholics and drug addicts, who he reached out to through his Alcoholics Anonymous connections. According to Ian Hamilton, some replaced their substance addiction with an addiction to endeavor. For them, Anderson's group was the next stop in an endless pursuit of spiritual highs. This drive to seek euphoria through religion is known as spiritual bypass. First coined in the 80s by psychotherapist John Wellwood, spiritual bypass can to some be a means of avoiding the roots of trauma, addiction, and undesirable situations. Individuals bury their emotions by overindulging in spiritual pursuits without actually working to resolve their underlying issues. While spirituality can play a supportive role for those dealing with addiction or trauma, spiritual bypass doesn't allow for total healing. Some people end up pursuing a series of new religions or meditation styles for decades in search of peace. But without also seeking therapy or medical assistance, they risk chasing novel religious thrills indefinitely. According to a 2009 study, those engaged in spiritual bypass may also be irrationally committed to a spiritual leader or obsessively dedicated to their teachings. They dive headfirst into spiritual pursuits, no matter how extreme they may seem, in search of temporary control over themselves. While there hasn't been extensive research into spiritual bypass as it relates to cults, Ian Hamilton believed that this was what played out within the Endeavor Academy. But despite his misgivings, he stuck with the Academy at the time in order to save his 25-year marriage with April, who was completely enthralled by the group. It was a decision he would later regret. In Australia, Poppy could sense that Ian wasn't fully committed to the Academy. Poppy and the woman known as the Lightmeister decided that Ian and April Hamilton's marriage was a potential threat to their organization. They called the Hamilton's union a bargain you cannot keep and a false relationship. The Lightmeister, taking advantage of April's trust, began to convince her that she and Ian were not meant to be together. Ian admitted it might sound cynical, but he believed there was also a financial incentive for the group to separate husbands and wives. In his five years in the academy, he witnessed multiple marriages being broken up. In each case, the leadership was acutely aware of how much money each individual would have following a divorce, and how much each spouse might be coerced into donating. Ian said he once saw the teachers berate a woman into donating a half million dollars. They insisted that she was the cause of pain and suffering in the world because she didn't know how to give to others. The obvious solution, they implied, was to give away all her money. Ian believed money was the primary motivation behind Ted Poppy's conspiracy to destroy his marriage. The Hamiltons had donated over $20,000 to the Academy when they first joined the group. But according to Ian, that wasn't enough for Poppy or Chuck Anderson. They wanted everything Ian and April had. Up next, members of the Endeavor Academy begin dying by suicide, causing government officials to identify the group as a dangerous cult. Now back to the story. In 1991, Chuck Anderson founded the Endeavor Academy, a spiritual group which combined elements of Christianity and New Age philosophy. 
the organization encouraged followers to sever ties with the outside world and spend hours engaging in ecstatic dancing. Within a few years, the academy went international and established a satellite campus in Australia, led by Ted Poppy. The strictures in the Australian branch of the academy caused one of its members, April Hamilton, extreme psychological distress. As the years went on, things got worse for April and her husband Ian. Around 1996, the Hamiltons spent a year in America studying directly under Anderson at his Wisconsin Dells compound. For a time, Ian became a trusted deputy to Anderson. But when he returned to Australia, Poppy's teaching style became more abusive, and April seemed deeply affected. The struggles made things tense between Ian and April. Her devout dedication to the academy outpaced his, even though he was working as a teacher with the Australian branch by then. April danced continuously, pushing herself to the point of exhaustion. Eventually, she was so fatigued that she was unable to eat and could barely get herself up in the morning. Even so, she continued to attend meetings and engage in ecstatic dancing as hard as she could. Her obsession caused her to experience periodic hallucinations. After months, the chronic exhaustion finally prevented April from attending the daily sessions. But instead of being met with sympathy, April was told by Poppy that she would die in six months if she didn't continue coming to his lectures and group meditations. At the same time, April was diagnosed with an addiction to the bliss of ecstatic dance. She began seeing a psychiatrist who said that she had altered the boundaries of her psyche to the point of constantly experiencing the emotions of others around her. This caused a deep depression in April and an even wider rift in her marriage to Ian. April said of this period in her life, I was in such hell that I just wanted to die. But in 1998, Ian and April, though separated, cut their ties with Endeavor Academy. Ian helped April find a job at a local nursery and encouraged her to take on volunteer work to change her outlook. But unfortunately, the damage was already done. In a 2001 interview with ABC News, Ian revealed that April Hamilton took her own life on November 13, 2000. He didn't go into details about her death, but claimed that her time in the academy left her terminally damaged. He said her death didn't come as a surprise, but it certainly came as a terrible shock and a terrible thing. Unfortunately, April wouldn't be the last to be pushed to her breaking point by the academy. Though April's death served as a wake-up call for her husband, most of the academy refused to acknowledge the psychologically abusive aspects of the organization. Because the academy was incredibly insular, it was difficult for students to see things objectively. Members were encouraged to live in collective housing and spend as much time as possible in service to the group. Many devotees were expected to perform unpaid labor when they weren't studying or attending sessions. Some worked within the meditation center. Others took a job at the academy's restaurant called the Cheese Factory. The result was that students really only spoke with other academy members. They developed a deep sense of dependence on one another. As a new initiate was drawn deeper into the academy, they were taught to internalize the group's doctrines as the ultimate truth. Many members say they were even told what to think and how to feel. Some former students have alleged that they were not allowed to make decisions for themselves. They were taught that decisions are ultimately made by God, not by students. If a situation absolutely required a yes or no declaration, 
former students have claimed that Chuck Anderson in the United States or Ted Poppy in Australia made the decision for them. It seems that for some members, Anderson and Poppy essentially acted as gods. Many cults strive to control their followers' lives. In a three-year study presented to the American Psychiatric Association, researchers concluded that cult leaders often manipulate their followers in order to compensate for a lack of control they feel in their own lives. Leaders like Anderson and Poppy externalized their insecurities and abused their students to gain a greater sense of satisfaction with themselves. For someone like Chuck Anderson, who may have felt a lack of power over his previous alcohol addiction, psychologically manipulating his followers gave him something he could control. Anderson and Poppy's reported tyranny even extended to the innermost thoughts of their students. Both taught that feelings should be suppressed when possible. Students were told they should deal with their emotions by taking it to light which meant either meditating on them silently or dancing out their frustrations during periods of ecstatic movement. The discouragement against speaking up had a dramatic effect on the psychological state of Anderson's followers. It reportedly led to a number of psychiatric breakdowns within the academy. This may explain why some members contemplated suicide and why a number of students did take their own lives. April Hamilton was the first known victim, but she wasn't the last. According to a report by the Cult Education Institute, a nonprofit focused on cult research and public education, Academy member Jeanette Horner also died by suicide in 2007 after an extended period of psychological distress. According to a friend, the day before she died by suicide, Jeanette continually lamented that the world was not real and death didn't matter. Her words echoed the trademark refrain of Chuck Anderson and Ted Poppy. Another victim was named in the media only as Uli. Not much is known about her experience at the Academy other than her death, but she took her life by jumping almost 300 feet from The Gap, a sweeping ocean cliff in Sydney that's since become infamous. Yet another victim wrote before her death that her five-year involvement with the Endeavor Academy caused horrific psychotic episodes that apparently went untreated. Her demise, along with those of many others, attracted significant media attention in Australia and drew fire from national politicians. In 2001, the Honorable Larry Anthony, a member of the Australian Federal Parliament, voiced grave concerns about the Endeavor Academy. Anthony said that many of his constituents had approached him about the academy, which he labeled a cult. He warned residents, quote, they prey on very vulnerable people. I think people have to be very careful about getting involved in this particular cult. In light of this attention, authorities turned their sights on the leaders of the academy. Eugene Sheeran, a visiting American Endeavor Academy teacher, had his visa revoked in 2001. Meanwhile, Ted Poppy returned to the United States. It's unclear if he's currently associated with the Academy. The group's influence has gradually faded, largely because Chuck Anderson died in 2008 at the age of 81. Those close to Anderson continued to insist that he was a teacher of God and a so-called light transmitter. But after his death, many former members spoke out against him. Some of these abuse allegations were published in online forums organized by former members. 
The group has remained out of the media since the Australian government began revoking visas in the early 2000s. Endeavor Academy still exists, but seems to be less controversial without the master teacher, Chuck Anderson, leading the group. Before his death, Chuck Anderson was the focus of a 48-hour special on CBS. The story detailed April Hamilton's depression and Anderson's promise to take his followers to heaven with him. When asked if he was dangerous, Anderson simply said, there's nothing dangerous about me. I'm the danger of eternal love. But Anderson offered nothing of the sort, and he certainly didn't lead his followers to heaven as he promised. After years of alleged abuse and psychological manipulation, many members are undoubtedly grateful to still be on Earth without Chuck Anderson. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Charles Chuck Anderson, amongst the sources we used, we found cult expert Rick Allen Ross's website, Cult Education Institute, to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Cults, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Cults on Spotify, just open the app and type Cults in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Cults was written by Brian Petrus, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. Mm-hmm.